In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade. That's what we were told. Most Americans never believed Lee Oswald was the lone gunman, for excellent reasons. In fact, there were at least six shooters who fired from eight to ten shots or more who are identified here. We have, finally, the solution to the greatest murder mystery in history, laid out for the world to see proof after proof after proof. Photos were faked, the body was changed, x-rays were altered, the home movies were fixed. Fifteen experts contribute to a 529-page book with 1,037 photos and diagrams in black and white and color. Hi, this is Gary King. If you'd like JFK, who, how, and why, and would like to support the new JFK show, then go to PatriotRadioBooks.com. That's PatriotRadioBooks.com. This is Jim Fetzer, your host on The Raw Deal, where I'm pleased to say that I'll be taking questions from the chat room during the second hour. Patrick will be assisting me. I begin with this latest alleged terrorist attack in New York City. Headline, suicide bomber strikes New York City at rush hour. An ISIS-inspired would-be suicide bomber set off a homemade explosive device at the Port Authority bus terminal subway station Monday morning, seriously wounding himself and injuring three others, law enforcement sources said. The man, a 27-year-old Brooklyn man identified by high-ranking police sources as Ikayad Ula, U-L-L-A-H, had wires attached to him at a five-inch metal pipe bomb and battery pack strapped to his midsection. When we uh, go forward to look uh, more closely, we do hear that this fellow is uh, this uh, ISIS-inspired, and remember, that's the key to the whole story. This is inspired by ISIS, suspect in custody after botched New York City pipe bomb terrorist attack. We go forward and we find there's a fellow, a former FBI agent, whose name just happens to be Jeff Lanza, L-A-N-Z-A, reminiscent of Adam of Sandy Hook, notoriety, the fictional character alleged to have shot 20 children and six adults. You're not supposed to know that, and it's a subliminal reminder of terrorism in the world, when in fact we have, on the 14th, which I dare say is, uh, what, uh, tomorrow we have the fifth anniversary, the fifth observance of the Sandy Hook event where uh, there is going to be a a protest, a protest uh, of the Sandy Hook event that has been organized, uh, uh, and I will give you more details as we proceed. But when you look at photographs of the suspect, I mean, look, he's lying here on the ground, and he's got some torn clothing, but there is no blood. This reminds me of the Boston bombing, where we had, when we peered through the smoke, persons lying on the ground were missing arms and legs, but there was no blood. As Lorraine Day, who is the MD, head of trauma surgery for San Francisco General Hospital for 25 years, observed. It's a physiological impossibility to have arms and legs blown off by explosives and for there to be no blood. That was a clue that something was completely wrong about the Boston bombing. Well, here's a clue that something is wrong about this New York subway bombing. No blood. 
We have the guy being carted off on a stretcher. He looks pretty normal to me. He's perfectly conscious and alert. It appears to me this is another guy who is playing a role, which is uh, substantiated by a new video you can check out, NY Subway Bomber. No arrest, jail, or current U.S. address. Real location found. Akayad Ula, bomb attack, New York, subway, pipe bomb, terrorist, crisis actors, hoax, fake, Sandy Hook, fake shooting, drill, gun control. Check it out. This is a less than 10-minute long video. That seems to do a pretty good job of surveying and turning out that this guy appears to be a fabricated individual, a hoax. Appears to be not unlike what we seem to have seen recently in New York, for example. The Times Square crash. Alex Scott wrote a brilliant blog for me where Alex is a 25-year police officer, 15-year general detective, some titled Just Another Broadway Show. This is where there was the car attack on Times Square. Uh, turns out if you look at the video, it looks pretty horrific until you do a slow-mo. If you slow it down, then you find such phenomena as that the car drives over a body, but the body immediately springs back up. In fact, when Alex slowed it down, he even found the director was caught in some of the scenes, which is reminiscent of one of the videos we now have from Las Vegas, where there's a director during the time the shooting is purportedly taking place, telling two of the participants there, obviously crisis actors, to redo their scene, to redo their scene. And he's giving them instructions as to how to redo their scene. I mean, this is embarrassingly bad. The United States appears to have degenerated to the point where it's having to fake up all these attacks. And, of course, since then we had uh, a little over a month or six weeks ago the New York truck attack, a hoax for Halloween on October 31st, 2017. Vivian Lee, PhD. Another day, another fake attack, this time a vehicular terror attack perpetrated by one Seifulo Seipov, a native of Tashkent, Uzbekistan, who supposedly mowed down bicyclists and pedestrians in a rented Home Depot truck on a bike path in lower Manhattan. This Halloween massacre is billed as the deadliest terror attack on New York City since September 11, 2001. Well, that's quite stunning, isn't it? The photographic evidence of the attack itself consists of the bikes and bodies on the bike path, the Home Depot truck with its front end smashed, but no blood on the truck, and a school bus that Sapo reportedly rammed although the damage to the bus was so high up that it could only have occurred if the truck had been airborne. Now, the fact that there's no blood on the front of the truck is very telling. We had a similar phenomenon in Nice, France, where a big 18-wheeler was in a part of the city where big trucks were not even legally allowed to go, which allegedly officially mowed down 84, count them, 84. 80 plus 4, that's a large number, of civilians, right? And yeah, you saw what looked like human shapes lying on the roadway. You saw a little blood here and there on the street, but no blood on the truck. 
Now, if you compare that with, uh, say, an automobile that hit a, a single deer, you find it's all smeared with blood all over the front end. But here, a truck that's alleged to have hit 84 people doesn't have any blood on the front. And when we take a closer look at the bodies, they turned out to be mannequins. Believe it or not, they turned out to be mannequins. I was so dumbfounded when Oli Domagard wrote an essay that included a comparison of, of Nice with other uh, phony staged attacks here in the United States. I put uh, t- photographs of two of the mannequins on the back cover of From Orlando to Dallas and Beyond, which, by the way, includes a couple hundred photographs of Hillary and a couple of her body doubles, which is a story that still has yet to make the mainstream news, although I will acknowledge that USA Today did run a story that the Internet thinks that Hillary has a body double because uh, after her fainting experience at the 9-11 memorial, where she was unceremoniously tossed into this van, which is... uh, you know, an ambulance masquerading as an SUV and evidently taking back to Chelsea's new apartment, which in case you missed the memo, Chelsea didn't need. She already had a wonderful apartment, but which was purchased because on the floor it was a private hospital. So they clothed the hospital so it would now have only one patient, Hillary Rodham Clinton. So when the staff became uh, concerned, apprehensive that anxiety was growing in the public over the state of her health, they sent out a woman who was, uh, what, what, let's see, uh, maybe, uh, maybe a couple inches taller, 30 pounds slimmer, much, much younger, at least 10 years, maybe more younger, very spry, very pleasant, most unlike Hillary Clinton, very agile. Uh, Because of her resemblance to one of my favorite actresses from, for example, You've Got Mail, I refer to her as the Meg Ryan Dobble. Well, within a couple days, we found a second. This one was shorter with a more sloped forehead, missing the two moles Hillary has at the right corner of her mouth, one above, one below. Obviously not Hillary Clinton. But she reminded me so much of our nation's most acclaimed actress that I refer to her as the Meryl Streep double. Well, if you check out from Orlando to Dallas and beyond, you'll find uh, hundreds of photographs of of Hillary in comparison to the Meg Ryan double and the Meryl Streep double, not the only double she'd use, but two that are very striking examples. Now, Vivian Lee continues pointing out the debris on the bike path was also problematic, looking like props hauled in for the press. The bikes were suspiciously mangled, as described by the media, in a way that would not have occurred if hit by a truck. And I'm looking at the image of one. It's like it's virtually folded in half. And this is quite striking because YouTube investigator Anaconda Malt Liquor has provided some footage of bicycles being crushed by a machine and run over by a tank, which looked great compared to those on the bike trail mangled by Sapoff. I mean, here I'm looking at the bicycle, and I mean, it does. It looks great compared. I mean, this is ridiculous. They overdo it. They, They do an overkill. They have a bike that's far too mangled to have been real. 
And here it turns out now that the feds interview this suspected New York City truck attacker in 2015 about possible terrorist ties. The suspected New York City attacker, Seifulo Sepoff, was interviewed in 2015 by federal agents about possible ties to suspected terrorists, but the agents did not have enough evidence to open a case on him. Law enforcement officials tell ABC News. Well, it looks to me this is the occasion when they flipped Seifulo Sepoff and gave him the choice between, say, confronting prosecution and deportation or going to work with the FBI. Of course, if he agrees to go to work with the FBI, they're not going to have enough evidence to open a case on him because that would nullify his usefulness to them. Remember, if you go back to 1993, for example, and the attack on the Twin Towers, on behalf of the blind sheep, Uh, It turns out that the FBI was instrumental there, and while the original plan had been to give them fake explosives, they actually gave them real ones. That's your FBI. And needless to say, it played a major role in covering up the assassination of JFK in assisting in framing Lee Harvey Oswald for a crime he did not commit. We've been able to prove it a dozen different ways now. Another big story this week, actually, or from the last uh, 10 days or so, Tillerson Mattis warned Trump against embassy move. President insisted on Jerusalem move, but impact will be forever. Donald Trump's announcement that the U.S. now recognizes Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and will eventually move its embassy there might will be the most predictable decision of an otherwise unpredictable presidency. Trump made his Jerusalem promise back in March of 2016 during an address he gave to the American-Israeli Public Affairs Committee, Political Action Committee. It was an obvious attempt to convince skeptical Jewish leaders of his uncompromising support for Israel. Well, it would be nice if he had uncompromising support for America. JFK insisted that the precursor of APAC, the World Jewish Congress, be registered as a foreign agent because, of course, it was here operating on behalf of Israel. It has become by far the most powerful lobby in Washington, D.C., and easily the most influential, overwhelmingly so. In fact, Cynthia McKinney reported a couple of years ago based upon her own experience and knowledge that when a new member of Congress arrives in Washington, D.C., they're asked to sign a pledge with the interests of Israel ahead of those of the United States. And those who do not find themselves confronted with a well-financed alternative candidate or even that their district has been redrawn and they no longer have a seat. Cynthia managed to overcome both of those obstacles and survived to serve eight terms in the House of Representatives. Others, however, have not been so fortunate, such as Dennis Kucinich, whom I regard as the smartest guy to serve in Congress in recent decades, where his district was redrawn so he no longer had a seat. A friend of mine who's a student of this particular issue recently asked me during an interview how many members of the present Congress had refused to sign the pledge. And I had to confess, I did not know the number, in response to which he held up the finger of one hand, one finger, one hand, one member of the present Congress who hasn't signed 
the pledge to put the interests of Israel ahead of the interests of the United States. My belief, therefore, my conclusion is that in the interests of uh, honesty and advertising, we ought to redeclare ourselves to be the United States of Israel. It's that bad. Here's the New York Times, a couple of paragraphs about Trump's decision. Palestinians burned photos of President Trump in Gaza, and the walls of the old city were illuminated with the American and Israeli flags on Wednesday, projected by the Israelis, of course, as Mr. Trump made good on his campaign pledge to recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital. In a much-anticipated speech from the White House, Mr. Trump argued that it was the right thing to do to acknowledge the reality that Jerusalem is the seat of Israel's government. Decades of avoiding that fact, he said, has done little to resolve the protracted feud between Israelis and Palestinians. It would be folly to assume that repeating the exact same formula would now produce a different or better result, Mr. Trump declared. Recognizing Jerusalem as Israel's capital, he said, is a long overdue step to advance the peace process. Mr. Trump said that the United States still wanted a negotiated peace agreement and would support a two-state solution if agreed to by both sides, and that he was not seeking to dictate the boundaries of Israeli sovereignty in the fiercely contested holy city. There will, of course, be disagreement and dissent regarding this announcement, the president said. He appealed for calm, for moderation, and for the voices of tolerance to prevail over the purveyors of hate. Well, international leaders reacted to Trump's Jerusalem move. His, uh, his announcement of the recognition of Jerusalem as Israel's capital on Wednesday triggered immediate condemnation and concern from leaders in the Middle East and around the world. In a statement from the White House, the president defended his decision as nothing more or less than a recognition of reality. Jerusalem's status has been contested for a millennia, its old city home to religious sites of Muslims, Christians, and Jews alike. Both Israelis and Palestinians have claimed the city as their spiritual capital. So what did we hear from various leaders around the world in close proximity to this zone of contention? Hamas, a war declaration. Hamas political leader Ishmael Hanaya called for a new intifada or uprising in the face of Israel, labeling Trump's move a war declaration against Palestinians. The announcement prompted riots in the streets of Gaza where demonstrators burned tires and set fires to pictures of the U.S. president. This decision has killed the peace process, has killed the Oslo Accord, has killed the settlement process, Haniaya said, describing it as an aggression, a declaration of war on us, on the best Muslim and Christian shrines in the heart of Palestine and Jerusalem. We have, in addition, this could fuel terrorism, says Jordan's King Abdullah. Jordan's King Abdullah told the American president his decision would have dangerous repercussions on the stability and security of the region. There is no alternative to a two-state solution, and Jerusalem is key to any peace agreement, Abdullah later said from the Turkish capital of Ankara. Jordan is home to more than two million Palestinian refugees. Even the Saudi Arabian royal court expressed disappointment. Trump's actions exemplify a drastic regression in the efforts to move the peace process forward and is a shift away from the United States' historically impartial position 
with regard to the issue of Jerusalem, Saudi Arabia's royal court said in a statement, adding that it will further complicate the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Jerusalem decision undermines chances for peace, says Egypt Sisi. Egyptian President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi stressed the necessity of not complicating the state of the region by taking measures that would undermine the chances for peace in the Middle East. The country of 95 million is one of only three Arab League states recognizing Israel's right to exist as a state. Bibi Netanyahu predictably forever grateful. Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu publicly praised the Trump administration move. Thank you, President Trump, for today's historic decision to recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital. The Jewish people and the Jewish state will be forever grateful. The recognition, he added, reflects the president's commitment to an ancient but enduring truth to fulfill his promises and to advancing peace. There is no peace that doesn't include Jerusalem as a capital of Israel. Well, that's not the way the world has seen it in the past. In 1947, the United Nations adopted a partition plan for Palestine, recommending the creation of independent Arab and Jewish states in an internationalized Jerusalem. The plan was accepted by the Jewish Agency for Palestine, but rejected by Arab leaders. The following year, the Jewish Agency declared the establishment of a Jewish state in Eretz Israel to be known as the State of Israel. Israel has since fought several wars with neighboring Arab states, in the course of which it has occupied territories including the West Bank, Golan Heights, and the Gaza Strip, still considered occupied even after the 2005 disengagement. It extended its laws to the Golan Heights and East Jerusalem, but not the West Bank. Israel's occupation of the Palestinian territories is the world's longest military occupation in modern times, and may I add, perhaps the greatest human rights issue of the last three decades or more. Efforts to resolve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict have not resulted in peace. However, treaties between Israel and Egypt and Israel and Jordan have been successfully implemented. Rabbi Michael Lerner, the editor of the Tukin magazine, The Voice of Liberal and Progressive Jews, issued the following statement. Of course, Jerusalem is the capital of the state of Israel but it is also the capital of the state of Palestine, currently occupied by the Israeli army and unable to exercise its sovereignty in the Arab parts of Jerusalem that will someday be an integral part of the Palestinian state. To ignore this fact and instead play to the most reactionary element of the Israeli people and of the Jewish people around the world is to not only be arrogant and ignorant, but also terribly destructive to the possibility of the U.S. playing a constructive role in bringing an end to Israeli-Palestinian struggle. More to continue. Did you know that Sandy Hook was a staged event where no children died? That the school had been closed since 2008 and there were no children there? Thirteen experts, including six Ph.D., current or retired college professors, Prove that it was a two-day FEMA drill presented to the public as a real event. We even have the manual. There was a rehearsal on the 13th going live on the 14th. Some participants became confused and put up donation sites the day before. Even the shooter was recorded as dying before the event. 
You have been played by Eric Holder and Barack Obama. Now Hillary wants to extend the deception by posing as a champion of Sandy Hook to confiscate your guns. Don't let yourself be played. Nobody died at Sandy Hook. If you want to get a grip on just what fake news is, then I'd suggest you get the book, Nobody Died in Boston, at PatriotRadioBooks.com. That's PatriotRadioBooks.com. Continuing with words of wisdom from Rabbi Michael Lerner, to those of us who seek peace, there is no question that the old city of Jerusalem does not belong to any one religion or people. It is a holy site for Jews, Muslims, and Christians, and should eventually become an international city that is open to all. West Jerusalem is already appropriately the location of the Knesset and major parts of the government of Israel. East Jerusalem, long the spiritual center of the Palestinian state, must become its official capital as soon as Israel is willing to let that happen or as soon as the international community can use whatever means are at its disposal to make that happen. In the meanwhile, Trump has pushed that date further into the future, thereby putting Israel and Palestine both into danger of renewed violence and further entrenching hatreds that must be healed. Shame on Trump, and shame on those who support this uh, separation of the two, denial of the two-state solution and respect for Palestinians' rights. There's a very interesting piece that appeared in The Federalist uh, uh, by a fellow named David Harsanyi talking about Trump's recognition of Jerusalem as making peace more likely, which I think is highly improbable, but where he points out the recent history of the issue, that Bill Clinton attacked George H.W. Bush for having repeatedly challenged Israel's sovereignty over united Jerusalem and promised to back Jerusalem as the capital of the state of Israel. In 1995, the Jerusalem Embassy Act passed overwhelmingly in both the House and the Senate. The law funds the relocation of the American embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem and recognizes the city as the undivided capital of Israel, Clinton balked. So George W. Bush attacked Clinton for failing to deliver and promised that he would start the process of moving the embassy as soon as I'm sworn in. But he didn't. Barack Obama, openly antagonistic toward Israel from the beginning, didn't even bother with a fiction. Every one of these presidents signed a waiver every six months postponing the legislation. And every one of them failed to bring about a peaceful end to the conflict or a Palestinian state because he claims Every one of them had to deal with unrealistic stipulations from Palestinian leadership, which included a demand that Jerusalem property be the capital of their new state. In June, when no one thought Trump would follow through on his promise, the Senate, including every Democrat who was there, voted to prod the president, as Politico characterized it, into moving the Israeli embassy to Jerusalem. The Senate voted 90 to zero on a resolution marking the 50th anniversary of Jerusalem's reunification, calling on the president and all United States officials to abide by the 1995 law and all of its provisions, which, of course, included moving the embassy to Jerusalem. So the results of a poll, unscientific, but I believe nevertheless a circumstantially representative of a widespread reaction, 
What is your opinion of Trump's announcement that the U.S. now recognizes Jerusalem as the capital of Israel? 83% of voters have stated they felt shock, anger, and dismay. And it has now been confirmed. The Palestinian foreign minister has declared the United States will have no future role in the peace process. And I'm afraid that's the legacy of this declaration by Donald Trump, that no other foreign power is going to take the United States seriously again as an objective arbitrator of major issues of foreign policy. This, I conclude, has vitiated the integrity of the United States in the eyes of the world. We are no longer regarded as anything more than Trump as a puppet of Bibi Netanyahu and the United States as a territory occupied by Israel. We have a fascinating development vis-a-vis the the Russian hacking meme, which we know had no substance. It originated in... uh, 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 by Robbie Mook and, and John Podesta, campaign managers within 24 hours of Hillary's concession speech. But the, the media, CNN, for example, MSNBC, found what they thought was clear evidence that WikiLeaks had shared with the Trump administration. Uh, DNC leaked emails before they were made public. Uh, it, it's fascinating uh, the way they, that they broke it. CNN exclusive email reveals effort to give Trump campaign WikiLeaks documents. WikiLeaks post hacked DNC emails on July 22nd, September 4th. Email sent to Trump Jr. offering key for hacked WikiLeaks docs. September 21st, WikiLeaks Trump Jr. exchanged private messages on Twitter. October 7th, WikiLeaks releases hacked podestic emails, but they committed a blunder. The memorandum the question that is supposed to be the core of the case was actually not dated the 4th of September, but the 14th. They made a blunder. and It did, therefore, not support what was claimed. Plus, uh, Trump's attorney says they have no idea who this person, Mike Erickson, is, who is supposed to have been the author of this email. They have tremendous egg on their face. The email was supposed to have pointed the Trump campaign to WikiLeaks documents, uh, but they were already public by the time the Trump information was, you know, received information about it. We understand, this is from Trump Jr.'s lawyer, the media reported 12 hours prior to this email that DNC emails had been hacked or leaked. We don't know who Mike Harrison is. We have no idea who he is. We never responded to the email, but they won't make it clear for themselves exactly what's going on. Scott Bennett, by the way, who's a former U.S. Army intel and uh, PSYOPs officer, has been giving a series of completely brilliant interviews with Press TV, the Iranian press service, about how inside information about how 9-11 was financed and the crucial role of a law firm named uh, 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 Covington and Burley. So you want to look for those reports. All hell breaks loose at the White House. Trump discovers Obama's covert order to agents to take out his family. This is rather fascinating stuff. Just because Obama's out of the White House doesn't mean his nasty talons aren't fully embedded in Washington, D.C., as his team of spies keep infiltrating Trump's administration to do his dirty bidding. 
as Obama operates his shadow government from the headquarters of his D.C. mansion just three miles from the White House, there's still believed to be around 30 leakers who have infiltrated Trump's administration, where they continue to take classified government intel back to the liberal media. It turns out one of the keys has been his foreign policy advisor, believe it or not. Get this. Obama has been relentless in his pursuit to take down President Trump ever since the new president took office. We even managed to get one of his Muslim operatives a job in Trump's homeland security for a brief period of time. Trump's deputy national security advisor, Dina Habib-Poe, was discovered not only to be a Muslim, but good buddies with Hillary Clinton and Obama's former Iranian Muslim Brotherhood advisor, Valerie Jarrett, as well who was reporting everything she knew back to the liberal media. Trump promptly fired Powell after discovering she was the one behind Obama's attempted coup in the series of leaks coming from the White House. While Trump has been extremely careful to vet members of his inner circle, we're now learning that his own national security advisor and top military general, H.R. McMaster, is also an Obama operative who's been working secretly with Obama for months even authorizing illegal surveillance on President Trump. This latest scandal ripping through Washington, D.C. was just unearthed by CIA officer John R. McGuire, who revealed during a recent intelligence gathering op that McMaster was the individual this entire time authorizing illegal surveillance on President Trump, including Trump's entire family and Steve Bannon. McGuire revealed that McMaster was one of the members of Obama's inner circle for eight years, saying that the military general has been using a burner phone to send information of his unlawful surveillance to an outside source. What's even more chilling is that this intelligence gathered by McMaster was then sent straight to a surveillance facility in Cyprus owned by George Soros, who's been responsible for no end of mischief around the world, including Uh, getting millions of Muslims to immigrate into the European Union where they're creating cultural chaos and financing Antifa and Black Lives Matter, including transporting them to Charlottesville to create further uh, violent confrontations that are intended to disrupt American culture as well. This is a very bad man. I was suspicious when McMaster was made Uh, Trump's national security advisor replaced Michael Flynn because it turned out that he had been a never-Trumper and even a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. Stunning stuff. Big mistake. We have various photographs that attend this revelation, but it's 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 a very significant development to expose corruption in the highest level of the administration and out it. There's quite a fascinating chart, by the way, that's been designed to reveal Hillary Clinton's connection to child sex trafficking. Hillary invested heavily in the Qatar Turkey pipeline and provided funds and weapons to Middle Eastern terrorists fighting against the Syrians because the pipeline has to go through Syria and the government of Bashir al-Assad won't permit it. She then refused to support the Benghazi Americans and Ambassador Stevens, who was ready to expose her connections to Qatar, Turkey, and the pipeline. Meanwhile, we have a Qatar prince convicted of pedophilia in the Czech Republic. 
So Qatar gives a million dollar birthday check to Bill Clinton for a five minute meeting. <coughs> nice work if you can get it. The five minute meeting with Qatar royalty was about investing in earthquake torn Haiti. Haiti is one of the largest countries involved in child sex trafficking. Haitian child sex traffickers have easy access to the Bahamas where Jeffrey Epstein the Clinton pedophile friend has a private island known as Orgy Island. Epstein's private jack nicknamed the Lolita Express has taken the Clintons, Huma Abedin, Anthony Weiner, congressmen, senators to the private island, which is loaded with video equipment. So they record these prominent politicians in compromising situations having sex with underage children, and they've got them. The sexual blackmail is a historic. It's a technique that was used by J. Edgar Hoover to control the members of Congress, where one of his uh, agents would drop by for a visit with a congressman and just uh, let him know they had this information and come into their possession, a photograph of him with a woman in bed with a woman other than his wife, and reassuring the senator that, we just want you to know it's in good hands. We're going to make sure this doesn't fall into the wrong hands. And by the way, they would say, leaving his office, please do remember the FBI when it comes time for appropriations. Well, just as uh, Edgar had sex dossiers on the members of Congress, the mafia had a sex dossier on Edgar, which included compromising photographs of him together with his close uh, personal friend and assistant, uh, Clyde Tolson. So that Edgar wasn't even able to acknowledge the existence of organized crime until the Joe Valachi hearings, where it was laid out with such detail and precision, it was no longer politically possible to deny. Meanwhile, Wiener, under FBI investigation for sexting a teenager, led to the discovery of 650,000 emails in an intimate triple X folder, which they had labeled life insurance. Inside the folder is evidence of the Clintons both having sex with children, including graphic photographs. This is why the NYPD went ballistic when they first got their hands on this treasure trove of emails and said that Hillary is not going to be able to escape from this. WikiLeaks produces emails with Hillary Clinton praising Laura Silsby, who admitted kidnapping children from Haiti. There's a lot more to this you want to check out. My, you know, if you're unfamiliar with the Pizzagate story, where one of the keys to the Russiagate allegations was not only to distract attention from the miserable campaign that they'd run on behalf of Hillary Clinton, but from the content of the WikiLeaks emails, which led directly to Pizzagate and to John Podesta as the pedophile in chief, and of course, uh, away from Hillary's own involvements with Russia, which included in a role as Secretary of State, selling off 20% of American uranium reserves to Russia through a Canadian company known as Uranium One in return for a $145 million donation to the Clinton Foundation. Now, we're in the interesting situation where these sex harassment exposures that have led to the downfall of Harvey Weinstein may have further ramifications. Where we, because Weinstein was using a legion of assistants, PR people, secretaries, and so forth, not to mention lawyers, in order to get these young starlets into his clutches, into a room where he could abuse them sexually, some quite extensively, it appears.
he may be subject to prosecution under the racketeering statutes, the RICO statutes that were organized, initially passed to apply to organized crime. There's something you need to know about the, you know, the the dominoes uh, falling here, in particular that the Roy Moore yearbook, that signature was forged in the yearbook where even the woman who produced the uh, the claim, the allegation against her, has acknowledged now that it was a forged signature. It didn't really require her admission because you could see merely by looking at the signature, the ink wasn't even the same. The handwriting appeared to be different, that it had been added at a different time than the original, which I am inclined to believe is itself a forgery as well. Here is a, an editorial page from the Wisconsin State Journal. So a whole string of, you know, falling dominoes, Weinstein, Matt Lauer, John Conyers, Al Franken, Roy Moore. Except I don't believe Roy Moore is going to fall. I believe the people of Alabama are electing him to be the, the, the their, their Senate. Uh, if not, it's a, if not the Democratic Senate nominee to be their senator from Alabama, I, he's going to prevail today, and that it's not going to teeter over onto Trump. But interesting to me, the Wisconsin State Journal also talked about Sandy Hook. Sandy Hook killings still demand attention. Our view five years later, Congress continues to ignore public outcry over mass shootings while Wisconsin moves backwards. And that's moving backwards by expanding the state's uh, concealed carry laws. This had me uh, so upset that I wrote a letter to the Wisconsin State Journal, which I expect that they will not publish, the following. The public has been played over Sandy Hook. Editors, what would it take to convince you that Sandy Hook was a scam? The FEMA manual for a two-day exercise? A fabricated death certificate from one of the parents? Proof that the school had been closed by 2008. You can find all of that and much more in the book I edited in Amazon.com banned less than one month after it went on sale on 22 October 2015 after having sold nearly 500 copies. It was making an impact, so they banned it. Thirteen contributors, including six current or retired college professors, proved that it was a drill, no children died, and done to promote gun control, as Paul Preston's contacts in the Obama Department of Education confirmed to him. When Amazon.com banned it on 19 November 2015, I immediately released it as a PDF at no charge to the American public. You can download it. Just enter Nobody Died at Sandy Hook on your browser, and you'll have it for free. We know much more today. There was a massive flood in Newtown in 2007 and the school was severely impacted. It was already loaded with asbestos and other biohazards damaged by hurricanes and the flood, so it was abandoned. Those children were photo fictions created out of photographs of older children when they were younger. For an example, check out Sandy Hook Charade. Noah Posner was Michael Vabner as a child at jamesfetzer.blogspot.com. As a former Marine Corps officer and McKnight Professor Emeritus, I have been doing what I can to bring the truth about this issue uh, to the American public. And let, let, 
to bring the truth about JFK, 9-11, Sandy Hook, the Boston bombing, Charlottesville, Las Vegas, and more to the American people. But the mainstream media has long since been infiltrated by the CIA through Operation Mockingbird, because of which no major media can touch the truth about one orchestrated event after another. The situation is pathetic. And I mentioned that there is going to be a protest uh, tomorrow, a Sandy Hook false flag protest on December 14th, led by uh, Jerry uh, 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 Lafreniere, who is a, 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 a quadru- no, paraplegic. He's, he's lost his legs. Uh, but he is being outspoken and standing strong for Sandy Hook truth. If there's any chance you might be able to join Jerry, go to his Facebook page entitled uh, uh, International Bureau of False Flag Investigations for the Details. International Bureau of False Flag Investigations for the Details. And in case you're unaware, by the way, here are some confirmations from unexpected sources about the Sandy Hook hoax. Anonymous, June 22nd, 2017 at 8.56 p.m. posted the following as a comment on one of my blogs about Sandy Hook. On November 2012 on the PBS show Greater Boston, hosted then by Emily Rooney, daughter of Andy, had as a guest the mayor of Boston, Thomas Menino. The topic was gun control, and Menino essentially bragged that he was good friends with then-VP Joe Biden who had called him and told Menino by January of 2013, gun control in the U.S. would be a done deal. Rooney asked how or what could change for legislation to pass so quickly. Menino wouldn't say, but that Biden assured him something would happen to bring it about. Here's an even more fascinating story. Richard Plant on March 3rd, 2017 at 5.17 a.m. wrote, The distance by vehicle between Monroe and Newtown is roughly several miles, 10 maximum. In 2010, I was visiting a friend of mine who lived in Monroe at the time. I didn't know this when I was visiting him, but he had an evening appointment one night to go to Sandy Hook Elementary School to pick up a couple of student desks on the cheap for his kids to use at home. When we arrived at Sandy Hook School, the parking lot appeared to not have been in use for years. Inside, the building showed signs of previous flooding, and water stains were up to about several inches above the floor. There were, was mold everywhere due to this flooding. The caretaker of the building quickly showed us where to locate the desks, and we got them out and into my friend's vehicle. Further observations of mine indicate that this was a very neglected building and that the caretaker even indicated the building was condemned because it was full of asbestos everywhere. This building was a mess. And the fake news want us to believe there were 400 and something elementary children in class on a fateful day in uh, December of 2012, that a guy named Adam Lanza shot and killed some of the children and adult teachers there. Give me a break. I spent a lot of years in construction and renovation. And there's just no way authorities would allow young children into a building such as the one I saw in June of 2010. No wonder the grief the townspeople showed didn't appear to be genuine even on TV. As a contractor, you deal with a lot of people, but the emotion of the witnesses and parents just wasn't real. 
Anyway, those are my thoughts on this Andy Hook story, and they thought they could get away with it. Thank God few of us are that stupid. But i got to admit, an awful lot of people still cringe at the thought of Sandy Hook. They can't believe it wasn't real. Let me mention, too, by the way, a new development regarding the Orlando event. The hero cop of Paul's shooting is being terminated from the force. An officer hailed as a hero for his actions during the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando has been let go six months before he would have become vested in his pension. Omar Del Grado, 45, a corporal at the Eatonville Police Department, was one of the first officers at the club in the early hours of June 12, 2016, after a gunman killed 49 people and injured dozens in what's now the second deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history. Delgado, who suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of witnessing the carnage, scoured through bodies that littered the ground and helped survivors get to safety. Well, that's a nice story, but it doesn't have any substance. In fact, the permit for the club had expired three years earlier. It wasn't even open. It had a legal occupancy of 150. If there had been 53 killed and, and 50 wounded, there would have been abandoned vehicles all over the place, but they were not there. Very clumsy crisis actors were carrying one another around, even toward the club rather than the medical facility. Once they got out of camera range, they set them down and they did a little jig because they thought they'd done their part. A correspondent in the area has written to me and said that the Pulse wasn't even a gay club. The Orlando Emergency Medical Center has announced it's not billing anyone for services in relation to the event. For, for the very good reason that none were rendered. When's the last time you heard of a hospital not charging for a Band-Aid? They didn't want to be prosecuted for fraud. It even turns out that they made two little videos about it, uh, Dance Orlando Dance, where you have actors dressed up as policemen and policewomen doing a little dance, others dressed up as uh, doctors and nurses doing another little dance, I mean, it's embarrassing, shameless, that they've been perpetrating these phony events on the American people. I mentioned before where you can find, uh, you know, uh, hundreds of photographs comparing Hillary Clinton with two of her body doubles, the May Ryan double and the Meryl Streep double. Well, in from Orlando to Dallas and beyond, you can find an expose about the Pulse nightclub phony staged event and about the subsequent event in Dallas, where they even fabricated a photograph of police officers by a wall crouching down so they wouldn't be shot, which I I learned was a Photoshopped image. You do a close-up, and it turns out they have orange blank adapters on their weapons. They could not have even fired live rounds. It was published in the Wall Street Journal because it was Photoshopped. There wasn't a legitimate corresponding photograph. Have you ever wondered if we really did go to the moon? If Paul McCartney died in 1966 and was replaced by an even better musician? Did you know that Saddam Hussein died in a B-1 bomber strike on 7 April 2003 and was replaced by one of his doubles who was put on trial and hanged in his place? Or that Osama bin Laden died in Afghanistan on 15 December 2001 and was buried in an unmarked grave in accordance with Muslim traditions? That the raid in Pakistan was faked? There is more, including four chapters about the end of World War II, which prove that events we have been taught were very different than we have been told. Don't let yourself be played. 
check out, and I suppose we didn't go to the moon either. Hi, this is Gary King. If you're interested in the book, and I suppose we didn't go to the moon either, with the moon landing, Paul McCartney, Osama bin Laden, and the hoax of the century that is unspeakable, then go to PatriotRadioBooks.com. That's PatriotRadioBooks.com. Special, special thanks and a shout out to the member of the chat room who offered the correction that Orgy Island is in the U.S. Virgin Islands, not in the Bahamas, where my wife and I honeymoon in the Bahamas. There's something rather unsettling about the idea of Orgy Island, where the elites go to have pedophile sex being located in the Virgin Islands, but that's the way it is. Let me just mention again, for the benefit of the chat room, I'm going to have uh, the, 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 after the bottom of the hour, I'll be open for your questions. So be, please be sure to give them to Patrick so he can forward them, forward them to me so I can address them during the last segment of the show. For now, I have several other stories I want to report, including that uh, the New York Times on December 1st published White supremacists were ready for violence in Charlottesville. The police were not. The police badly mishandled white supremacist rallies in Charlottesville, Virginia in August, failing to give officers needed training, gear, and marching orders, and remaining passive as bloody clashes between protesters and counter-protesters raged around them, a former federal prosecutor reported on Friday. The Charlottesville police knew in advance that there were people here bent on engaging in violence, but they believed they were ready, naively citing their experience of handling block parties and visits by dignitaries, said Timothy J. Heapfey, H-E-A-P-H-Y, the former United States attorney who was hired by the city to investigate the episode. Mr. Heapfey's law firm, Hunton and Williams, drafted a report more than 200 pages long, actually 220 pages, that was released on Friday detailing many basic tactical mistakes, including failure to keep the factions apart, coordinate among law enforcement agencies, react to violence, and call in available reinforcement. Investigators found fault with elected city leaders and university of officials, uh, uh, which is, you know, of course, they didn't respond appropriately. But what this report fails to observe is that there was a, this was a coordinated effort, that the violence was deliberate, that it was contrived, that George Soros, as I previously have mentioned, bust in Black Lives and then Matter and Antifa members in order to create a violent confrontation, that the mayor of the city, Michael Siner, ordered the Charlottesville police to stand down so that the governor, uh, uh, Terry McAuliffe, who is a crony of Hillary Clinton and an aspirant for the Democratic nomination, could use the state police and the National Guard to channel the peaceful protesters who had a permit for their march on to protest the removal of a statue of Robert E. Lee into a direct violent confrontation with Black Lives Matter. Somehow that doesn't make it into Heapfee's report. In fact, there are other major blunders there. I've now published two blogs about it. Let me share you the contents of the latest. 
three massive blunders in the independent report on Charlottesville by Timothy Heapfee. No doubt the 220-page independent review of the 2017 protest events in Charlottesville, Virginia, conducted by former U.S. Attorney Timothy Heapfee, which you can download and read for yourself, sounds very plausible on its face. In its preface, it claims to have made an exhaustive effort to put together a coherent narrative of the events that took place in Charlottesville, Virginia, especially the violent confrontation that occurred 11-12 August 2017, which led to tragic consequences. The most tragic, here's here's a paragraph from the report, the most tragic manifestation of the failure to protect public safety after the event was declared unlawful was the death of Heather Heyer. Early on 12 August, uh, 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 Charlottesville Police Department had placed a school resource officer alone at the intersection of 4th Street Northeast and Market Street. This officer feared for her safety as a groups of angry alt-right protesters and counter-protesters streamed by her as they left Emancipation Park. The officer called for assistance and was relieved of her post. Unfortunately, Charlottesville Police Department commanders did not replace her or make other arrangements to prevent traffic from traveling across the downtown mall on 4th Street. Uh, uh, A single wooden sawhorse was all that impeded traffic down 4th Street as large groups of people continued to roam the streets. This vulnerability was exposed when James Fields drove his vehicle down the unprotected street into a large crowd of counter-protesters at the intersection of 4th Street Southeast and Water Street, killing Miss Heyer. According to the report, the most tragic manifestations of these events were, one, the car wreck that took place at 4th and Water Street involving a vehicle driven by James Fields, which, two, collided with a large group of counter-protesters and killed Heather Heyer, and where three, the subsequent crash of a Virginia State Police helicopter led to the death of two Virginia State Police troopers. Few will deny that if the report is wrong about these three crucial claims, as I shall demonstrate here and now, then its credibility will have been demolished. And in fact, I proceed to do so because the vehicle was not driven by James Fields, but by another fellow with a similar name, oddly enough, who is 32 years old, Fields was 20, diagnosed as a schizophrenic and allegedly taking antipsychotic medication. He had heavy prescription glasses. The actual driver of the vehicle, and it's very easy to discern when you look at images of the driver and compare it with the two, was in fact a 32-year-old military veteran who commands a, a battalion of Army Reservists in, in Ohio. He drove the car backward with such skill it would become a, a, a NASCAR driver. I could not have done what he did there. But the whole thing was a setup. The, the, they had the two cars. Two cars were involved, both Dodge Challengers. One had a black stripe, one did not. One had a sunroof, one did not. Two different drivers, as I'm explaining here, the Patsy, the 20-year-old, the actual driver, the 32-year-old. And they did at least three different takes. We have images of one car with no vehicle beside it, a second with the one car with a black Toyota pickup truck behind it, and a third with three vehicles altogether where the first two have been parked at the intersection for some time and have no driver in them, so that when he crashes the vehicle into the back, 
they won't suffer whiplash or other damage. That's number one. He doesn't even have the driver right. Number two, Heather Heyer was not killed in the car crash. She, Mona Alexis Presley has discovered she died the following day of a heart attack. Even her mother has been interviewed reporting that her daughter died from a heart attack. So while that's very, you know, emotional story, the suggestion that, you know, this occurred because, uh, because of this driver smashing into the crowd, where we know, by the way, that the photograph that was put on the front page of the New York Times, which is bodies flying in the air, was photoshopped. It was photoshopped. I mean, this is so disgraceful. Even the, the, the newspaper that has in the past been our nation's paper of record, meaning what you read in the New York Times is supposed to be the official history of the United States, is resorting to Photoshop images to promote a hoax. And in the third place, we have photographs of the two Connecticut, uh, 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 Virginia state troopers after their helicopter crash are still in their flight uniforms, walking away from the crash. You can find a, a video, a video watching them walk away from the crash on the, on my blog. So just go there, you know, th- three, uh, three, uh, blunders, three massive blunders in this report, uh, uh, do a search on three massive blunders, jamesfetzer.blogspot.com, where we have just released our brand new book on Charlottesville entitled Political Theater in Charlottesville, Faux Terrorism in Three Acts Produced by Leftist Zealots. Back cover, two cars plus two drivers plus two takes equals totally fake. The Charlottesville production was divided into three parts. Part Act 1, a torch-lit protest on a statue of Robert E. Lee on the campus of the University of Virginia. Act 2, local police stand down so state police and National Guard could channel protesters into a violent confrontation with members of Antifa and of Black Lives Matter. Act 3, at an intersection several blocks away. The actors were set and the vehicles in place to film dramatic and carefully contrived video footage. The players include George Soros, executive producer and professional agitator, Terry McAuliffe, director and governor of Virginia, Michael Siner, assistant director and mayor of Charlottesville, Richard Spencer and Jason Kessler, white nationalists and Obama supporters, Brennan Gilmore, witness, and U.S. Department, uh, State Department operative, no doubt CIA, Ford Fisher, on-scene videographer, and Antifa, Black Lives Matter, Virginia State Police, National Guard, stuntmen as extras. The contributors include Kevin Barrett, Ph.D., Scott Bennett, Oli Domagard, Dr. Eowyn, Ph.D., Greg Felton, Jim Fetzer, Ph.D., Dave Geharry, Matthew Raphael Johnson, Ph.D., Nick Kohlerstrom, Ph.D., Dave Martin, Ph.D., Jack Mullen, Mike Palachek, Tom, uh, Michael Thomas, Paul Craig Roberts, Ph.D., Jacob Tyler, with the ending quote, the strongest reason for the people to retain their right to keep and bear arms is, as a last resort, to protect themselves against tyranny and government, Thomas Jefferson perhaps the greatest political mind in the history of the United States, where JFK once observed to a collection of Nobel Prize winners gathered together at the White House that this was the greatest assemblage of intellect and talent ever assembled, 
under one roof at the same time, except when Thomas Jefferson dined alone. Google now is going to appoint a staff of 10,000 to weed out extremist content on YouTube. You know what that means. They're going after any views that the government wants to suppress. In other words, Google is hiring a staff of 10,000 censors to go after people like those of us who are trying to expose the truth here. Uh, no, no doubt even multiple hosts right here on Revolution Radio and elsewhere. I mean, it's shocking that this is what the United States has come to. We're entering a Stalinist era where all of our media are suppressed. They're not only infiltrated by the CIA through Operation Mockingbird, but they're further taking out the voices that remain that stand up and oppose the, 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 the misleading statements, the mendacious behavior, the outright lies, including whoppers like Charlottesville, perpetrated on the American people. We have a perfect illustration here where Pulitzer Prize winner Seymour Hersh, John Pilger, and Noam Chomsky are considered far-right conspiracists in the psychophanic new school of journalism for what? Because they challenged the story that the Syrian attack was done by the Assad government. And, of course, they did so on the excellent ground that Assad had already given up his chemical weapons, and the ability to produce them as the result of a previous staged attack. Those who plotted that last attack, which led to Donald Trump launching some 60 cruise missiles into Syria, forgot that Assad had already given up his nuclear, his chemical weapons capacity. They committed a blunder. So you got to go after the media. Anyone as prominent as these guys who's going to talk about it I mean, you know, it's outrageous what's going on here. We have some further developments regarding Las Vegas, where the homicide division has been pulled off the panic shooting investigation and replaced by Sheriff Lombardo's undersheriff. The sheriff, by the way, most recently announced that Paddock had fired 1,100 rounds from the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay Hotel. Well, that's pretty fantastic, considering... You won't find more than a a handful, a few dozen rounds in his entire suite. And if you look at the photograph of his head, you'll see there's something very wrong because there are shell casings on top of his head. Once a guy dies, you know, uh, he's no longer firing off rounds unless his finger somehow was caught in the trigger, which wasn't the case here. So the rounds should be under the blood, not on top of it. Uh, Scott Bennett, with his keen eye, as a former Army Intel and PSYOPs officer, noticed some of the shell casings were from from blanks, which have a, a closed, uh, a cr- crimped nose, unlike a regular cartridge that's open from firing a lead projectile. And then others were CO2 cartridges used for gas-propelled pellet guns and the like. So they just threw down a handful of shell casings. Uh, they're, they're missing over a thousand. If if I exaggerate the number that are actually there, call it maybe close to a hundred. When I think it's only a few dozen, they're missing over a thousand shell casing, which falsifies the official account right there between the sheriff declaring eleven hundred shots having been fired, and the photographs inside the the suite occupied by Paddock where you're not going to find as many even as a 100. There are a 1,000 shell casings short. They ought to have been everywhere. They aren't. That means the whole story's fake. 
We also have the top three officials of the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department all leaving or retiring two months after the shooting. Laura Loomer asked, what's going on there? But it's obvious the whole thing was fake. As I've explained so many places, it was a movie. They had a pre-recorded soundtrack they were playing over the PA system that was of too high quality to be the, 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 from, the, uh, uh, from the actual shots. It was high quality, so it would be picked up by the cell phones and the laptops of those who were at the concert. They had coordinated visual special effects of flashing lights at the Mandalay Bay, not on the 32nd floor, but in the center of the building. On the fourth floor, there's a series of rapidly flashing lights intended to simulate the firing of a machine gun whose sound you're hearing on the pre-recorded soundtrack. Several floors above, you see blasts of three light flashes, which are to simulate modern military weapons which fire in three-shot blasts. Then we have another video where you see a man in a crowd turning to shoot on members of the fire on members of the crowd, but he's clearly firing blanks. No actual impact occurs on anyone in the videos. We've gone through 33 videos from the concert. There's no one being shot, but there's plenty of sounds of shots. We even have a, a recent one where you can actually see a director in the crowd having a couple of the crisis actors do a second take, a second take. He's telling them what to say, how to change, so he can have a better scene while the shooting is taking place. I mean, how absurd is that? How much proof do you need that that Las Vegas was a hoax? So I'm working on a new book on Las Vegas now, and I hope to have it out within about six weeks hence. Uh, I might mention, by the way, that these Moonrock books can make excellent Christmas presents for anyone who has at least modem of curiosity about what's going on out there in the world. So I suggest you might give it consideration as something a little off the beaten track, you know, looking for something to give to someone that's a, special that has an intellectual aspect that challenges their reasoning ability and their 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 credulousness in the face of fake media fake news coming from the mainstream media we have a most welcome development regarding the boston bombing john remington graham who's a retired professor of law has been persevering in seeking to get an amicus curiae brief before the appeals court for the First Circuit in the case of the conviction of Zoker Serenov, who was wrongly convicted of participation in the events of the Boston bombing. The court has accepted his amicus curiae brief. The motion of three citizens of the United States were leave to appear as friends of the court under Rule 29A of the Federal Rules of Appellate Procedure is granted. The bar membership requirement of Local Rule 46.0A2 to the extent applicable is waived by the court. I am very proud to say that I am one of those three citizens cited in the amicus curiae brief to make the following point. The case was already cracked. The day of the event, we knew the bombs were planted by Kraft International personnel who were wearing khaki trousers, black jackets, black baseball caps, with a skull insignia where the the motto of Kraft is, violence does solve problems. 
we also know that when the, the brothers were photoshopped into the video, that the, the government, the perps, uh, planning this event committed a colossal blunder. Because while the FBI reported that the two backpacks that exploded were both in black nylon backpacks, neither of the brothers was wearing one. You can see here, when you watch, if you pursue the video version of this show, because I'm recording all of the shows so you can actually see the stories and the evidence I'm discussing with your own eyes. Well, it will be posted at Gary King YouTube channel. You can find many of them there now. Gary King YouTube channel. Zoker is wearing a silver backpack. Tamerlan, a, a, a grayish backpack, but it's not a black nylon backpack. Neither of them is wearing a backpack of the kind that exploded. So that we not only have these Kraft International personnel going to the location where the bombs are set off, but that with a black nylon backpack with a white square on it in one case, but then rushing away while the black pack explodes. But we have a failure of the match between the backpacks for the, for the brothers in relation to the bombs that went off. This is very serious because the FBI report on the bombing concluded that the two backpacks that exploded were both black nylon. Even in the indictment for Zoker in court, it stated that the bombs that exploded were black nylon backpacks. Since neither of the brothers was wearing one, they cannot have been responsible for the crime. In fact, Jack observed to me that since the backpacks don't match, there wasn't even probable cause for an arrest, much less an indictment and a conviction at trial. So it has been accepted by the court. According to uh, Professor uh, 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 R- R- Remington uh, uh, Graham, John Remington Graham, this is the first time in judicial history an appellate court has accepted an amicus curiae brief on, on, on behalf of the court. So this is going to have lots of reverberations. You can find all the evidence laid out in my book, Nobody Died in Boston Either, which includes contributions from uh, Sheila Casey, uh, Sterling Harwood, J.D., Ph.D., Dr. Eelwin, Ph.D., Nick Kolstrom, Ph.D., James F. Tracy, Ph.D., Mike Palachek, Alan William Powell, John W. Whitehead, J.D., Craig McKee, Oli Domagard, Jim Fetzer, Ph.D., Paul Craig Roberts, Ph.D. These are very substantial people which represents a quality of the collaborative research that I foster. I bring together the best experts on different cases to publish their collective findings in order to give a well-documented alternative history to the false reports we're getting from the mainstream media. It's embarrassing, but you can find the truth at moonrockbooks.com. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade. That's what we were told. Most Americans never believed Lee Oswald was the lone gunman for excellent reasons. In fact, there were at least six shooters who fired from eight to ten shots or more who are identified here. We have finally the solution to the greatest murder mystery in history, laid out for the world to see proof after proof after proof. Photos were faked, the body was changed, x-rays were altered, the home movies were fixed, 
Fifteen experts contribute to a 529-page book with 1,037 photos and diagrams in black and white and color. Hi, this is Gary King. If you'd like JFK, who, how, and why, and would like to support the new JFK show, then go to PatriotRadioBooks.com. That's PatriotRadioBooks.com. <laughs> I still... I still love that last track. I think Revolution Radio does a great job. I'm very enthusiastic about Revolution Radio. Having just discovered the chat room last week, I've been a little distressed that we have a new chat room, and I haven't been able to find my way to it yet, and apparently a lot of others haven't either. So that I'm going to return to Sandy Hook, and if any questions emerge here, I'll be happy to field them. Let me reiterate the points I was making before. Namely, that Jerry Lafreniere is organizing a Sandy Hook false flag protest uh, for the 14th, which is tomorrow. It's going to be held at, at Thursday at 4.40 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at the Sandy Hook Court. Uh, check out the details by going to the International Bureau of False Flag Investigations, his Facebook page there. Uh, This is for the fifth observance of the Obama-Biden-Holder hoax. And bear in mind, as I was reporting before, we had this fascinating uh, report on one of my blogs by Anonymous on June 22, 2017 at 8.56 p.m. In November 2012, on the PBS show Greater Boston, hosted then by Emily Runer. Rudy, daughter of Andy, she had as her guest the mayor of Boston, Thomas Menino. The topic was gun control, and Menino essentially bragged that he was good friends with Vice President Joe Biden, who had called him and told Menino that by January of 2013, gun control in the U.S. would be a done deal. Rudy asked how or what could change for legislation to pass so quickly. Menino wouldn't say, but that Biden assured him something would happen to bring it about. November 2012, talking about an event that they knew would take place in December, about one month later. It was a two-day FEMA drill where we even have the manual for a rehearsal on the 13th going live on the 14th. It's a rehearsal that is the key to understanding why there was a sign there, a portable sign that said everyone must check in, why we have uh, uh, pizza boxes, pizza and, and bottled water at the firehouse, why there were so many there with name tags on lanyards, why there were porta potties already in place, why parents were bringing children to the scene. Now ask yourself, What parent would bring their child to the scene of a child shooting massacre? The answer is none. No parent would do that. But because it was a a, a rehearsal, they were treating it as a festive occasion. Free pizza, bottled water, porta potties. Wolfgang Halbig, who was a former Florida state trooper, U.S. customs agent, has held many administrative positions in school and as a nationally recognized expert on school safety, became interested in, in Sandy Hook. He wanted to learn what had happened there so he could advise other school systems on how to avoid such a thing happening to them. 
who could have a more pure motive? But he discovered that his FOIA requests weren't being answered, his phone calls weren't being returned. Before he knew it, there were two detectives from a local homicide uh, 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 department on his doorstep in his gated community in Florida advising him they were there on behalf of the Connecticut State Police. And if they and if he kept doing research into Sandy Hook, they would have him prosecuted. I mean, ask yourself, what kind of sense does that make? Here's a nationally recognized school expert uh, who wants to learn what happened so he can share it with other school systems so they don't have the same thing happen to them. And he's being threatened with prosecution. They won't answer his FOIA requests. They won't return his phone calls. Instead, they threaten him with prosecution. I mean, let that sink in. Uh, what what could be a bigger tell that something is terribly, terribly wrong? What turned out that one of the more innocuous inquiries he made was who delivered the porta potties? But they wouldn't even answer that because it would have revealed that they were delivered the day before, not on the 14th, the purported day of the shooting, but the day before, and blow the whole thing wide open. And, you know, the fact is that we can explain the sign now because it says right in the manual, everyone must check in. So they had a portable sign that said everyone must check in. Wolfgang has been pursuing the case at a very gradual pace, but very methodically, including a number of hearings that were legally significant with oath, testimony given under oath, during one of which Patricia LaLorda, who is the first select man of Newtown, which is a position equivalent to being mayor, when asked who had placed the sign there, acknowledged it was placed by Homeland Security. But what would Homeland Security have been doing there? Homeland Security would have had no place there if it had been the bona fide event. It was uh, the murder of 20 kids and six adults. The Canadian state police were on the scene. Uh, There would have been no role for Homeland Security. What she was doing was confirming that it was a FEMA drill and that it had been placed there for that purpose. Uh, we know it's standard for FEMA drills that they provide restaurant, restrooms and refreshments, hence the pizza and the bottled water and the porta potties. It's a standard for a FEMA drill that they have the participants identified by name tags on lanyards, which are color-coded. And now we begin to see what was going on. In fact, some of the participants became confused. They put up donation sites. Uh, 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 for the victims already on the 13th, the day before the event had even officially taken place. Indeed, even Adam Lanza, who is a fictional character, made up for the occasion, had his uh, date of death initially recorded in the Social Security Death Index as having occurred on the 13th, making his feet and shooting 20 children and six adults the following day all the more remarkable. Historic. Dead shooter kills 20 plus six adults. I mean, really, give us a break. I mean, this is so ridiculous once you look at the evidence. Not only that, but one of the dead, the youngest of the children was one Adam Lonza, 
who uh, 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 was one Noah Posner, whose father, Lenny, has been making a, 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 his life work attacking the, the websites of those of us who have been seeking to expose the truth about Sandy Hook. He even initiated a series of attacks on James Tracy, who had published the first scholarly article about Sandy Hook in relation to Wayne Carver's press conference, where Wayne Carver was the medical examiner who the day of the event, the 14th of December 2012, held a press conference, claimed that all the kids had been shot from three to, to what, three to 11 times apiece, that he conducted autopsies, but he didn't know how many were boys and how many were girls. He actually let slip at one point in time. He hoped this whole thing didn't come crashing down on the people of Newtown, meaning he knew it was a hoax. He was in on the hoax. We know he was in on the hoax, because if you download Nobody Died at Sandy Hook, which Amazon.com banned less than a month after I'd placed it on sale on 22 October 2015, where it had sold nearly 500 copies, on the 19th of November it was banned. I understood it was political. They had at that point in time 20 books on Sandy Hook, but only one that challenged the official story which included, of course, contributions by 13 uh, different authors, experts on Sandy Hook, including six current or retired Ph.D. college professors, one of whom, for example, Dr. Eowyn, had already published 80 articles on Sandy Hook, where I myself had already published 30. We knew the score when we put that, when I edited the book, and therefore, when it was banned, I realized it was a political exercise. If I sought to challenge the ban, which was unspecific, that I violated their guidelines, which I knew was highly implausible because the book was produced by CreateSpace, which is itself a subsidiary of Amazon.com. It had already been on sale and selling very well. In fact, it was headed to become a bestseller. No doubt that's why they felt they had to put a halt to it by banning the book. And uh, uh, I myself had published 30 articles about Sandy Hook. We knew what we were doing. We knew the basics. We knew the school had been closed by 2008. We knew there were no students there. We knew that it was a drill to promote gun control. In fact, Paul Preston, whose interview with Sophia Smallstorm is included in the book, had been so disturbed by what he had seen broadcast from Newtown that day, having supervised drills of this kind himself, that he reached out to his contacts in the Obama Department of Education, all of whom confirmed to him that it had been a drill, that no students had died and it was done to promote gun control. Hence Joe Biden's knowledge and awareness of what was taking place. It was going to be a scam on the American people, I believe, at least in part motivated by the belief that we need to show the American people what could happen, what could happen if we don't ban guns, what could happen. It didn't actually happen. They were do-gooders who were going to publish about what could happen. Well, Lenny Posner had over 100 hours of conversation with, uh, with Kelly Watt, who's been a very astute student of Sandy Hook, 
She challenged him about his son, Noah. She said she didn't believe he had a son. She didn't believe he died at Sandy Hook. She asked for a proof, such as a birth certificate or a death certificate. Lenny Posner inadvisedly, no doubt, sent her a death certificate that turned out to be a fabrication, the bottom half of a real death certificate, the top half of a fake. It doesn't even have a file number. It has uh, the wrong estimated time of death at 11 a.m., when in fact the shooting took place between 9.30 and 9.35. I mean, how absurd is that? Obviously, if Lenny had a son, Noah, who'd actually died at Sandy Hook, he would have been able to produce a bona fide death certificate, not a fake one. As I have mentioned, Noah not only died in Sandy Hook, but two years later in Pakistan. And believe it or not, Kelly Watt, with her keen eye, noticed a certain uncanny resemblance between Noah, the six-year-old, and his older stepbrother, Michael Wagner, who at the time was a teenager, so that we looked into it. She had shown photographs of the two of them to several of her friends, and they all said, oh, yeah, that's the same person. So we put together a collaborative group of a half a dozen of us, and you can find our work online on my blog at Sandy Hook Charade, Noah Posner was Michael Vabner as a child. We had noticed from the beginning, by the way, that the clothing in these photographs didn't correspond to the kind of clothing that kids were wearing in 2012. It was decidedly outdated. It looked eight, ten years out of date. And that's now explicable, we now understand, because they created these photographs out of older kids when they were younger, and when they were six years old, it had been eight or ten years prior to 2012. This also explains, by the way, why Wayne Carver uh, uh, said they did not allow the parents into the school to identify the bodies, but did it using photographs. Well, I mean, now you, you know the rest of the story. There weren't any bodies there. There was no one for them to identify. Uh, and therefore, they only showed them photographs because the kids only existed as photographs. And you'll see that case of Noah Posner where he has the same ears, he has the same eyes, he has the same eyebrows, he has the same shape of skull. Of course, as he got bigger, he got proportionately bigger, but it's the same person. Larry Rivera, who has done a brilliant job with uh, creating GIFs or superpositions of images, created a GIF here where you see Noah Posner turn into Michael Famner. I mean, it's uncanny. So if you had any doubt about whether this was fakery, about whether any kids died, you can be rest reassured. Even rejoice, because nobody died at Sandy Hook. 20 kids did not die there. Six adults did not die there. It was an elaborate scam perpetrated for the purpose of promoting gun control. In fact, just one month and two days later, on the 16th of January, 2013, Barack Obama signed no less than 23 executive orders to constrain our access to weapons under the Second Amendment. Barack Obama. It turns out Eric Holder, uh, the, the, the governor of Connecticut, uh, Daniel Malloy, 
whom I have told is actually illiterate, if you can believe that a governor of a state of the, in the United States in this day and age could be illiterate, gave a press conference that afternoon and it would explain that he and the lieutenant governor had been spoken to that something like this might happen, which got me to ponder, spoken to by whom? Something like this? What could he possibly mean? And it, I, 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 it occurred to me there were only really two alternatives, that he'd been warned that someone might go berserk and come into a Connecticut public school and shoot up a bunch of kids, in which case his governor, having received the warning, he obviously had an obligation to notify the school system to upgrade their security to ensure it did not happen. But he didn't do that. Or alternatively, he had been spoken to and informed they were going to take an abandoned school, conduct a drill, present it as a real event to promote gun control, which is exactly what happened. And when I looked into by whom, guess what? Uh, Reuters reported that on, as I recall, it was the 17th of November, Eric Holder, Attorney General of the United States, visited with Daniel Malloy to discuss the Obama administration gun control programs. Undoubtedly, that was the occasion. When, when uh, Eric Holder informed Daniel Malloy of exactly what they had in mind. If you want further confirmation and proof, it's simply overwhelming. Uh, I mean, the school was loaded with asbestos and other biohazards damaged by hurricanes and by a flood. We now have more information provided by Jerry Lafreniere about the flood in 2007. It turns out that Sandy Hook is located in a kind of a basin, and it's a very swampy area. And there was a major flood in 2007 that further aggravated the circumstances. You may recall the the post I read, and I'm going to read again, saying that the parking lot looked unused. Well, we have a photograph of the parking lot which is singularly bereft or absent of something common in virtually every parking lot you'll ever see in America. It has no oil stains. It's been so long since this parking lot was used. There have been so few vehicles in the flood, and the hurricane have washed away the signs that there are no oil stains there. Rather stunning. So now we know the story behind Richard Plant, on March 3rd, 2017, at 5.17 a.m., offering the following observations. The distance by vehicle between Monroe and Newtown is roughly several miles, 10 maximum. In 2010, I was visiting a friend of mine who lived in Monroe at the time. I didn't know this when I was visiting him, but he had an evening appointment one night to go to, uh, to go to Sandy Hook Elementary School to pick up a couple of student desks on the cheap for his kids to use at home. When we arrived at Sandy Hook School, the parking lot appeared to not have been used for years. Inside, the building showed signs of previous flooding and water stains were up to about several inches above the floor. There was mold everywhere due to this flooding. The caretaker of the building quickly showed us where to locate the desks, and we got them out and into my friend's vehicle. Further observations of mine indicate that this was a very, very neglected building. And the caretaker even indicated the building was condemned because it was full of asbestos everywhere. This building was a mess. And the fake news want us to believe there were 400 and something elementary children in classes on a fateful day 
He originally wrote November, meaning December 2012. The guy named Adam Lanza shot and killed some of the children and adult teachers. Give me a break. I spent a lot of years in construction and renovation, and there's just no way any authorities would allow young children into a building such as the one I saw in June of 2010. No wonder the grief the townspeople showed didn't appear to be genuine, even on TV. As a contractor, you deal with a lot of people, but the emotion of the witnesses and parents just wasn't real. Well, those are my thoughts on the Sandy Hook story, and they thought they would get away with it. Thank God few of us are that stupid. And I'll say more about the parking lot there on the day of the event, but I have a question. Do I know of or has anyone received money from any lawsuits from Boston bombing to Vegas, so-called shirting, a.k.a. insurance money, or a lawful lawsuit received the funds in any case? Well, it's interesting that uh, there is a uh, – one of the complaints or objections that was raised about Sandy Hook is that the parents didn't file any lawsuits. And, of course, they weren't filing any lawsuits because they were in on the elaborate hoax. In fact, it turns out that sympathetic but gullible Americans contributed between 27 and $130 million in donation, which divided between the 26 families led to over a million dollars per family. So I'm convinced that Lenny Posner, uh, uh, you know, has been harassing uh, James Tracy, for example, where his letters to the editor and columns written about the loss of poor Noah, who didn't even die, is perfectly alive and well, who is a fictional creation out of photographs of his older stepbrother, Michael Vabner, when he was a child, led to the termination of James Tracy because of the research he was publishing on his blog. The university claimed it was because he hadn't signed forms about his outside activities. But during the trial, which has just terminated, several faculty from Florida Atlantic acknowledged that they'd never even heard of this requirement or, or that they thought it was ridiculous. And I can tell you, after 35 years of experience in higher education, the idea that a, a, a tenured professor would be terminated for not filling out some forms is simply absurd. You might receive a, a verbal reprimand. You might have a letter put in your file, but you would never be terminated. In fact, it's a disproportion between the administrative measure taken and the, the uh, purported offense that is a sure sign that was this was done for political reasons. Nevertheless, in court, the verdict was rendered two days ago on Monday, actually yesterday on Monday, that James Tracy had failed to convince the jurors, eight jurors who were unanimous in their belief that he was not terminated because of the content of his blog. Now, I'm just sorry to say that this is a complete travesty, that Tracy was doing his best to warn the American public so that they not be completely defrauded by a monstrous hoax that had already taken $130 million out of the pockets of real Americans and put it into those of the perpetrators here, where the school board would receive $550 million for a new elementary school at Sandy Hook, where I did research and discovered that the average cost of a kindergarten through fourth grade school, as was Sandy Hook, is only seven. So they received seven times seven million. 
and, and where we've even been able to show that the photograph of a policewoman escorting the children to safety published on the front page of virtually every newspaper in the world was a staged photograph. It was a second of two taken by Shannon Hooks, where the earlier shows a different arrangement of children with a little girl in a pink sweater in a short skirt, who is then replaced by a little boy in a, in a dark a black sweater and blue jeans, and where you can see between boy number one and boy number two when you compare them, that there are several parents in the background casually looking on. I refer to this as lounging at the massacre. It's a completely despicable event that has instilled fear into the hearts of every parent in the United States. I mean, absolutely stunning. And I want to mention, too, that if you just look at a photograph of the parking lot, by the way, you can tell already that it's a fraud because, for example, there's no uh, none of the familiar blue and white signage for handicapped parking. In Connecticut in 2012, federal and state law required there be handicapped parking. It isn't there. This could not have been a legally operating school. The temperature was only uh, 28 degrees below freezing. If they had school students there, there would have been heat and steam rising from the building. But the, the boilers were so decrepit, they were non-functional. They even have a center row, two rows of vehicles all facing the building, which is absurd. The driving instructions have you come in from Dickinson Drive, curl to the right, turn around, park facing away. But it was simpler to bring them in in a single file, two by two by two, and they put them in place because, after all, they were going to only serve as props Who would know the difference? So just from looking at an aerial photograph of the Sandy Hook Elementary School that day, you can tell that this was a a hoax, that this was a contrived event, this was a fraud. Because the issue was raised about lawsuits at Sandy Hook, we now have what appear to be fabricated lawsuits vis-a-vis Las Vegas. And it's just stunning. They're doing their best to put their, uh, their fingers in the dike The three closest hospitals to the concert area in Las Vegas received zero gunshot admissions. If there had been 50 or more killed and 500 wounded, those wounds would have been serious wounds from the type of weapons used. Many of them would have died. None of them have died. The three closest hospitals had no admissions of any gunshot victim. Proof again, we had other fakery you'll find on my blog at jamesfetzer.blogspot.com. Thanks. Thanks for listening. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade. That's what we were told. Most Americans never believed Lee Oswald was the lone gunman, for excellent reasons. In fact, there were at least six shooters who fired from eight to ten shots or more who are identified here. We have, finally, the solution to the greatest murder mystery in history, laid out for the world to see proof after proof after proof. Photos were faked, the body was changed, x-rays were altered, the home movies were fixed. Fifteen experts contribute to a 529-page book with 1,037 photos and diagrams in black and white and color. Hi, this is Gary King. If you'd like JFK, who, how, and why, and would like to support the new JFK show, then go to PatriotRadioBooks.com. That's PatriotRadioBooks.com.